Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Welcome to the Action Catalyst podcast. This is Dan Moore, and in honor of America's Independence Day, we want to share with you a very special talk from one of our own, Mr. Gary Pears. He is Southwestern's legal counsel and also a former captain in the United States Marine Corps. Gary offers a tribute to our nation's veterans, the brave men and women who continue to make our freedom possible. We at the Action Catalyst wish all of you a very happy Independence Day and hope you enjoy the show. Thank you very much. We've got a lot to talk about, so I want to get right to the subject. First, to start this matter, I went to the uh, library and found the poster that I like the most. And this is a 1996 poster. Uh, the VA presented it. And it exemplifies a number of points I'm about to make. And I just think it's just a great poster. Uh, first of all, if you're in any branch of the U.S. military and you serve honorably, you complete your tour of duty, you're officially a veteran. Congratulations to each and every one of you. You don't have to be in combat to be a veteran. I wasn't in combat when I was deployed to Panama. Uh, I don't think anybody shot at me. Uh, I was just tromping through the Panamanian forest trying to get used to the humidity. Uh, but I am a veteran, but we certainly honor the combat veterans because of what they went the extra mile. They went even further. Let's talk about a couple of real war stories, ones that would make us beat our chest. I'm from Alabama. We live in Tennessee. I said, I tell you what, I'm going to find a hero from Tennessee, and I'm going to find heroes in Alabama, and we're going to highlight them. People probably have heard their stories, but they're so good stories, you can't say them too often. So, where do I start? Well, I went to Fentress County, Tennessee, big town of Paul Mall, rural area, and a long time ago, a young man was born named Alvin York. He was the oldest of 11 children. He and his mom lived in a two-room cabin. Folks, I didn't say a two-bedroom cabin. Eleven kids, one mom, probably a pet dog and a chicken, two-room cabin. And back in those days, you had big families so that you could self-sustain yourself. Everybody had a job. Obviously, it was Alvin's job to kill what they could eat. He became a master expert with the rifle based on his hunting prowess. They never starved. They may have lacked for other things, like education, but they never starved. He became sort of rough and rowdy as a teenager, but some people introduced him to Christ. He converted his life to Christianity. He joined a local conservative Christian denomination. He dedicated himself to that church. He was the real deal when it came to a convert. Well, World War I breaks out. America joins the war in 1916. 20 million draft notices were sent out. Six million Americans were drafted. He was one that got a draft notice, and he was going to be one that got drafted. He filed, Alvin York filed a petition as a conscientious objector, wanted the exemption from war because being a devout Christian, he didn't want to be in a position of having to kill people. That was pending when he went through Army base training. 
he did very well in base training. They picked up on the fact of how good a shot he was. He was the best shot in the unit. Also, he was mature beyond his years. He had grown beyond the rowdiness. He's taken care of this large family. It's a rough living. This young man is mature. So between having natural leadership skill and being an ace shot, he was honored by the people who were training him. By the time the application came back denied, he was ready to go to war. And this is really cool. Uh, they designated him to become a member of the 82nd Regiment. In the World War II, the 82nd Airborne was one of our very finest fighting units. Well, in World War I, 1918, they didn't have that reputation yet, but they were becoming that great unit. So here you have this young man from Tennessee who's the best of the trainees joining the best combat unit, and off to Europe they go, Germans didn't have a chance. As a matter of fact, in the second half of 1918, the Germans were put on the run because the introduction of England and, and America to the war a year and a half before gave enough impetus for the Allied forces to push the Germans back into Germany, and they decided they would just go ahead and push them all the way back to Berlin. So that process, as of the summer of 1918, had already begun. But you know, whether you're in a sports event, in a war, whatever, it's always that last inning, that last mile that's the toughest. He was part of that last mile. And this is where it gets great. He was the number two ranking NCO, non-commissioned officer, in a squad of 16 people. The 82nd Regiment came to a valley as they were going through the Argonne Forest. The Argonne Forest is the terrain that you have to go through before you actually enter into Germany. After all, they were going towards Berlin. He and his squad were told to go get a machine gun nest. There were multiple machine gun nests on the ridge of the hill. They could not walk through, they could not march through that valley until all those machine gun nests were knocked out. York's squad was told to go get a particular machine gun nest. That's all they were told to do. Just go get a machine gun nest, right? Well, they were pretty savvy. They actually got to the top of the hill without that machine gunner knowing they were there. They were going to outflank them and lo and behold, what did they find when they came across the crest of the hill? A German rifle company hunkered down in a trench. Now, these 120 German soldiers were supposed to be manning 35 machine gun nests along the ridge, but they were showing cowardice. And so they're hunkered down in this trench. Um, uh, York and his men saw a golden opportunity. They dispersed. He got one side, the others got other angles and they just started picking off Germans one at a time. York in his diary says it was like picking off Turkey. One after another, after another, after another. The commanding officer of the German unit realized what was going on. He sees what has happened to his people. He thinks it's an American rifle company that's doing all the damage. So he throws up his arms. He tells his men to throw the weapons down. He tells them to do whatever those Americans tell them to do. And so they come marching out, and this German officer comes by York and says, Where's your company? And he says, oh, it's just us guys. So you had 16 Americans march out 120 German soldiers as part of just getting a machine gun nest. But it turns real ugly real quick. As these 16 Americans in this squad were marching this uh, company of Germans out, the nest that they were supposed to knock out, it was operational. It was functional. And those Germans opened fire. In a matter of three seconds, York lost nine of his fellow soldiers. Nine, gone, just like that. So they hunkered down, 
the sergeant got killed, so Corporal York becomes in charge, and he tells his men, go ahead and take these Germans down the valley. I will take care of the nest. He did take care of the nest. According to his diary, as he works his way up toward the nest, he still has a Springfield rifle, and the machine gunner had splintered all the trees. There was no trees, no cover at all. So what he would do is he'd kill a German and then get behind that body and use it as a boundary. And then he'd kill another German. He'd get behind that body. And he made his way back up the hill towards that nest body by body. And with a revolver, six Germans realized it was just one American, so they charged him, and with a revolver he fired six times, and he killed six Germans, and the whole group surrendered. I want to read these results. What happened that day? October 8, 2018. Captured 132 German army soldiers, silenced 35 machine guns, killed 25 German soldiers himself. He came back home to take care of his family. He would not go on a speaking tour. What few speeches he made for money, he gave the money to children to have a better education in rural Tennessee. The Rotary Club built him and his wife a nice house, two-story house. It's still there. And he became superintendent of a major park along the Cumberland River. Now, I'm going to fast forward to the home front. I started thinking, you know, these, these people would not have been successful in combat unless they had good people behind them. So what was going on in the home front was awfully important, especially in World War II. Norman Rockwell painted this picture of a woman who had a red bandana, sort of muscular arms, grease on her face. She had a rivet gun. On her glove it said Rosie, and she became known as Rosie the Riveter. The War Department just loved it. They cleaned up Rosie, made her look a little nicer, and that was a promotion to bring women in. The women bought into it. Six million Rosies the Riveters started going to factories and manufacturing facilities in America every day to make the armament that we needed to win the war. Isn't that a great story? Really cool. Another great woman, Eileen Collins. Grew up in New York. She loved to fly. She wanted to be an astronaut. She heard about the, the shuttle program. Eileen Collins became one of the very first test pilots for the United States. She then became one of the very first astronauts. She went on four shuttle flights. And what is so important about her is she's the very first commander of a space shuttle flight and she was magnificent. It wasn't a token. She actually led the missions that she drove and did a very fine job. But it wasn't just the fancy jobs that women have been taking over in the last 25 years. They're also doing the hard work. And I can say from personal observation, I personally know they do a great job. They're particularly good at shooting. Women can shoot. You give them the right rifle and the right technique, they can flat shoot. So, women are now in combat. That wasn't true all along. We've had a few women from the Revolutionary War, but they weren't supposed to be out there where they could get killed. But five years ago, an executive order came out that women would now be involved in the point of the spear. The point of the spear being the bad guy's just right over that wall, and she's getting in place to take care of the bad guy. That's the point of the spear. You're going to see more and more women in that capacity. Right now, there's about 10,000 women who are taking advantage of being in a combat role since uh, 1915. Kudos to the women. So, the point I've been trying to make is it's great to honor veterans. There's real reasons to honor veterans. But as importantly, I find that the veteran family is becoming all more inclusive. And I think that will make us stronger. So, I want to end with something Dustin has taught me. Ultimately, we strive to positively impact the people and communities we serve worldwide. As part of that pursuit, we believe in 
the power of serving others, what we do is important. What the veterans have done is important. How we honor our veterans is important. Thank you and God bless America. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.